Lloyd Dobler. Cool. That's not that poetic, Lloyd. I actually kind of expected a little more from you. (laughs) I'm incarcerated, Lloyd. My assault on the world begins now. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who heard y'all loud and clear when you told me to bring Pat back. So I did. Today, I welcome back Kate's super smart, velvet-voiced brother to fall in love all over again with one of the most romantic films of our generation, 1989's Say Anything. But before we get into the boombox of it all, I'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe to the pod if you're into it. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Okay, enough about all that. Pat's here, and that's all that matters. If you didn't hear Pat's Star Wars episode in season one, check it out. Everybody loved it. And, well, I mean, everybody can't be wrong. So welcome back, Pat. Greetings and salutations. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy you're here. When you said say anything, you had me at hello. I'm not trying to <laughs> steal something from Jerry Maguire and Cameron Crowe's other opus, but, you know, just the idea of that film is phenomenal. Oh, 100%. And I'll tell you, one of my earliest memories of this film actually relates to In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Because when you got your license, my mom used to have you drive me home from school. And I remember being in your car and you were playing this song on a tape. And that was the first time I heard it, even before I saw the film. So my memory of this film actually includes you, and you probably never knew that. Who knew? You, you were crammed into the fun and exciting 1978 red Honda Accord hatchback. Seating for five <laughs> is what they said. And that car became Kate's car. And we talk mm-hmm. about that in episode one this season uh, in Can't Buy Me Love. And, and we talk all about that car. I am convinced that somewhere, somehow, that car is still running somewhere. Oh, you know it is. But it was a great song, too. And remains, to this day, a great song. But we'll get into the song later. Let's talk about the film. Okay, the film was released on April 14th, 1989. The budget was $16 million, and the box office on this film was $21.5 million. It made a profit, but it died. It's so interesting because when you think about the legacy of this film and how much it means to so many of us, you think, really? That's all it did in the box office? It deserved so much better. But you've just described every great success story. Oh, wait, sorry. I'm skipping to the end. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I did. You're right. I did. Do you remember seeing it? I rented it. And I really liked it. I think I was probably, this film came out in 89. I think I saw this sometime in like the mid 90s, a few years later. I really liked it. Now that I'm older, I truly love it. I I knew you were going to ask if I remembered seeing this movie the first time. And I can actually tell, I can't tell you where for sure. I know I saw it in the theater, but I was 15 years old. And I don't know if you recall, but after mom passed away when I was 14, um, Kate and I briefly went to a bereavement group. Yes. And in that I met my girlfriend, whose mom had passed away a couple of months before. Yes. But I do distinctly remember going to see this movie with her. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so this film was Cameron Crowe's directorial debut. Of course, we know Cameron Crowe as the writer of Fast Times, uh, which I covered a few episodes back. And we have Cameron Crowe to thank for, you know, a million movies we all know and love. Singles, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, you know, the list goes on and on. Interestingly, Crowe told Entertainment Weekly, a mutual friend introduced me to executive producer James L. Brooks. We made plans to get together partially as a way of exploring something we could work on. We started talking about life and love. These conversations went on for four years. And out of that came Say Anything. He brought him in. Uh, Brooks brought him in when he was working on broadcast news. And yes. they they connected that way. The, the connections in this film are crazy of who's connected to who to connected to who. And it ter- forms like this daisy chain of talent that you just shake your head and go, wow, that's really, wow. really, really impressive. But the other part to the story at the beginning is I was surprised because, you know, Lloyd Dobler is such a character. I mean, he he seems so fully formed. And that's not where they started the story. They started the story with Diane, that James L. Brooks had seen this very attentive father and daughter crossing from um, a park. And James L. Brooks saw them and his first thought was, this will show you a writer-producer's approach. His first thought was, what if that guy's a crook? And so they started with the idea of the golden girl of Diane Court and how she would handle her father being this criminal, you know, he's guilty, we know he's guilty, blah, blah, blah. And so that's where they began it with. I thought they had started with Lloyd because, you know, I I figured that was just Cameron Crowe's alter ego. He's an unlikely hero. He's this lovable, unlikely guy who gets the girl. Yeah. He's the underdog. We all love a good underdog story. So you would think that this would begin with him. James L. Brooks tells Cameron Crowe, let's create a hero for her that we haven't seen yet. Oh, I love that. It's a it's a great, and they want to make him a warrior for optimism. That was the line. And that kind of embodies everything about Lloyd. I mean- It sure does. He is a warrior for optimism, you know? So the film opens and it's graduation day in Seattle. And we see Lloyd- of course, played by John Cusack, hanging out with his girlfriends. His friends are Corey and DC. And Corey is played by Lily Taylor. We love Lily Taylor. I loved her in Mystic Pizza, but I loved her the most in the River Phoenix film, Dogfight. Did you ever see it? I didn't. Oh, so good. She's always had a look. I loved her when she was on Six Feet Under and a recurring role that I was in adoration of. She's fantastic. Anyway, they're in a bedroom and they're talking about Ah, Diane Court, again. Now, let's talk about the character of Lloyd and the casting. So, of course, John Cusack. It's hard to consider anyone else in that role. He played it so perfectly. We know John Cusack from Better Off Dead, Gross Point Blank, being John Malkovich, High Fidelity. Everything he touches is amazing. But considered for the role, according to IndieWire, Christian Slater. I could see that. Yeah, I guess I could see it. Kirk Cameron. I have a theory on that one. Oh, ooh, what is it? Tell me. Wait, wait till we get to the party scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> and actually, Robert Downey Jr. was offered the part, but he turned it down. I can see him in this role. RDJ can play anything. And I'm not just saying that because I love Iron Man. Um, <laughs> the other side is John Cusack didn't want it. He had done a sure thing. He had done the John Hughes, you know, bank. He, you know, he was really resistant to doing a high school movie. He didn't want to get pigeonholed. 
And it was John Mahoney who had been cast or was being considered to be cast um, as James Court. Mm-hmm. John Cusack and uh, James Mahoney were doing Eight Men Out about the oh, White baseball. Sox scandal. Yes. Yeah, the 1919 uh, White Sox that, that threw the World Series. And he they, they were in it together. And James Mahoney came to him and said, you got to do this film. And John Cusack like, ah, I don't want to do another high school film. And he was really resistant to wearing even the, the you know, the cap and gown for graduation. That's why he, he refuses to wear the mortarboard. He's like, he's, he's past this. He's done. It's so funny that you say that because Crow shared that Cusack said, I never want to graduate again on film. He said he had graduated like six times already. And Crow said, we used to pull out the graduation gown and he'd go, ah. Which I'm sure if you've done it over and over, it stops being special. And He was over it. Right. Lloyd only goes to graduation because Diane's there. You know, that's really it. Um, Even his parents, I don't know if there's a quiet line in there where he calls mom and dad in Germany and his dad is an army guy. And he's like, it's like they were there. And I'm like going, not his sister didn't come. His family, nobody, you know, like the, the closest parental representation is like, you know, Corey's mom is there and that's it. Right. And so Corey, she's wise in the ways of love. She's had her heart broken. Like she knows some stuff. She's been through some shit. And she's quick to remind Lloyd Diane Court doesn't go out with guys like you. Now, Pat, let's talk about men who have female best friends. What do you think about it? I know that you are friends with lots of women. And when you were in high school, you had a lot of friends that were girls. I still do. I, mm-hmm. I th- in general, I find it interesting that because generally speaking, I've been closer with women throughout my life. Uh-huh. I find it really interesting that I've got a group of guys that, you know, are kind of the cadre of my high school friends. And we, you know, most of us go back to elementary school and but we definitely came together in sixth grade. And I'm really, really tight with them. And I find it interesting because that's a relatively new experience for me. Um, most of the time, it's I've been friends with women, which means, you know, like Lloyd, you get a woman's perspective on things in a right. lot of things where it's really hard to be a complete jerk because, you know, you've got your friends sitting there going like, don't you hurt her. <laughs> and don't you go, do it. sorry, you know, or or you can at least get the perspective. You might still be the jerk, but you've got to work at it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. You also have Corey bringing up the class dynamics. You know, she's a brain with the body of a game show hostess. She doesn't know she's pretty. Um, and brains stay with brains. If a bomb goes off, their genes form the same clicks. And, <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but I think I think the thing that shows that Diane doesn't really have any connections to her school is that she's practicing her speech with her dad. With and of dad. course, your parents are... You know, they're, they're going to cut you slack for everything. And she has the line of, you know, go back. Right. And he laughs at it. And and the joke dies. I mean, it's just, there's crickets. And and the dad's the only one that's laughing in the crowd. Right. <laughs> and that was the part of me that I was just like, you know, any good friend would look at you and say, don't do that. She doesn't have that. No, this is this is not her zone. This is not her area. And she doesn't have the ability to even pass off a joke. She's been so addicted to her studies of how it plays out. But I do like how they contrast the preparation for, you know, graduation. She's, you know, cap and gown in the car on the way to the you know, ceremony with her dad. And meanwhile, Lloyd is like, you know, he did the equivalent of a selfie with a little timer on his camera and takes a picture of himself in front of his car. Like, and like, so he has a memory. Right. Like, hey, I'm there. I was there. I did a thing. Right. 
So on graduation day, Lloyd, you know, he's feeling a little bit brave. He's like, I'm, I'm going to call her. And Corey's like, we don't want to see you get hurt, Lloyd. And this is Lloyd's classic line. I want to get hurt. Right. I just want to experience anything with Diane Court. It doesn't even matter what it is. Good, bad, or indifferent. Well, it's, it's a second date. You know, we 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 had a first date. We 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 <laughs> ate at the we ate at the food court. You know, that's 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 consuming food. That's a date, and the, and that argument. Um, oh, no. it's so sad and and so perfect. Yeah. So Diane Court, her character is played by Ione Skye, and she's known for Wayne's World. One Night Stand, Fever Pitch, Return to Babylon, and most recently, HBO's Camping. Did you see it? I haven't. I didn't know it's she really was good. It. Got a, <laughs> It's really good. I've got I'm behind. It's really good. She's quirky. She, she plays it well. Well, coming into the casting of this, the only thing she had really been in that was big is she had been in The River, which is this very intense film uh, made a couple of years before. Um, but her history is interesting because... Her dad is the 1960s singer Donovan. Yes. Which, of course, I had, I'm dated here. I had to go look up Donovan. Um, but Yeah, and, you know, she's divorced from Beastie Boy Adam Horowitz. Yep. Yeah. Who would have picked that? Couple? I know. It's, it seems like an <laughs> unlikely pairing, especially because we think of her as being like her character, right? But she had difficulty relating to the character. She told the L.A. Times... I wasn't a good student. I grew up with my mother, not my father. I kind of had a wild childhood. Even the father stealing money from old people. I was saying to Cameron, I can't access why this would upset me. And that's, you know, I guess like any actor, especially a young actor who doesn't have a whole bank of experiences to draw from, you know, you you are trying to connect it in some way to something within. But it kind of, again, that kind of fits for the character. She's Almost like a, you know, tabula rasa that she hasn't really, all she's done is study. She doesn't really have any experiences to point to, which is why Lloyd is so perfect for her. The perfect match. Throughout the entire party, people are walking up and, you know, he's like, you know, I just remember the one stoner guy. I'm sure he doesn't even have a name in the script. He's like, Lloyd Dobler. Cool. You know, just like <laughs> that that gives her instant credibility in in this world that she's been, held, she's been holding at arm's distance. Yeah. She really has. This is actually the biggest reason why she decided to go out with Lloyd. It's like, I don't know anybody from high school. Like I realized when I was giving my valedictorian speech, these people don't know me. They don't know who I am and I don't know them. And and so she's looking back on her time with a measure of regret. I, I think she was just so busy looking forward that she forgot to live in the now. And it's such a pivotal part of your life. The struggle of high school and trying to figure out who you are and your place and where you want to go next is an important part of character development. And she just she just like jumped right over that part. And now she's kind of backpedaling a little like, wait, I, I missed out. I need to experience more. Well, and I think it's something that speaks to, I mean, you and I, and I would argue most people you know, because high school was such a pivotal time. And my personal theory is that in between ages 12 and 20, you know, everyone goes through something traumatic, something that draws a line in the sand that you can say, oh, before this, I was a kid and now I'm an adult. And whether that's, you know, the death of a family member or, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything. It can vary for so many people. It could be the death of your dog. Right. Not that that's insignificant, just to be clear. It can be your Um, first F. Right. 
or your breakup or, you know, falling in love for the first time or yeah. whatever it is. Yep. But someone goes through that and she's never gone through that because she won't, you know, I'm going to go Brene Brown on you. She hasn't allowed herself to be vulnerable. And right. because she's not vulnerable, she can't be hurt. But the downside is, is she's alone. I mean, you know, even when we first see her, we have... DC and Corey and Lloyd and you know they're the you know the three musketeers and you've got Diane with her dad which is dad. not the same thing. No. You also see you know Lloyd trying desperately to get a picture with Diane and and Corey going no no this is sad don't do this you know the and and he walks right by her just as her dad hands her the keys to the car and she points to the red Ford Escort with the bright red interior we find out later <laughs> um, and she's like that and points and of course click just as he goes by it's perfect and you notice in that picture where he's walking by he looks like bigfoot the he way does. he's walking oh my god it's so good it's so good it has to be by design he looks like a yeti the casting we missed um <laughs> but we get to meet all of you know, another woman in lloyd's life yet another um, which is played by Joan Cusack, his sister, who was not credited. She was doing this as a favor to her kid brother. Oh, I love Joan Cusack. She's so quirky. She's so different. Well, and they had gotten her for a steal because she was just coming off of being Oscar nominated for Working Girl. I mean, this is an actor. Right. This adds like a big element of legitimacy to the film, no? Right. It's one of those things that comes along and she's big and yet she was never credited. I mean, she was in the trailer like crazy. And I think there's all sorts of symbolism behind her name because her name is Constance. She's always there. And Constance ha is kind of upset and is kind of, you know, I get the impression is in her early mid twenties and has a kid. She's frazzled as hell. You know, yeah, she's a she, single working mom. She's got a kid. She's also the home base for Lloyd, who's not sure what he wants to do. And, you know, she probably relies on Lloyd as kind of a pseudo father to her son. She doesn't like the way he's always like, you know, you're you're always just screwing around with my son. You, you just. Why can't you be his uncle and not his friend? Right. Right. Like like my brother with my kids, his nickname is literally Uncle Danger because <laughs> everything with the kids was like all about having a good time. And it was sometimes a little bit dangerous. And, you know, I'm really type A and careful and and anxious about things. And he's just like the fun guy. He's the Lloyd Dobler. So when she's scolding him for that, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Lloyd Dobler is Uncle Danger. But he also I mean, he also calls his sister on it and when there's those brother-sister relationships, yes. it's rare for someone to call you on something. And so... Like you used to be fun. Yeah. Why can't you be in a good mood? How hard is it to be to decide to be in a good mood and be in a good mood once in a while? I'm sorry. And I love this line. T-I-M left. But I am not T-I-M. Yeah. You used to be fun. You used to be warped and twisted and hilarious. And I mean that in the best way. I mean it as a compliment. Right. You You see the relationship and the comfort between them because she takes it. And she says, I did used to be twisted, you yeah, know, like you're right. And so it's what happens to you after the loss of innocence from high school. Cause you know, you have this dewy eyed Lloyd Dobler who has just graduated and you've got his sister who's been out in the world and has, you know, faced a divorce and is now a single mom and holding down everything together. And she's the opposite end of the spectrum of like, this is not what I was promised. She would love a dare to be great situation. Right. You know, but. And the way her life has unfolded, that's not going to happen for her. Yeah. Right. 
it's it's an interesting twist but then we go to Diane getting her second gift from her dad. Yes. Now, you touched on the fact that her father is played by John Mahoney. We know John Mahoney from Frasier. You mentioned Eight Men Out. Uh, Reality Bites, he's Grant, asshole Grant from Reality Bites. Moonstruck and Barton Fink. And and yet was raised in England and you wouldn't be able to tell. You'd never know it. And and we sadly lost him in 2018 at age 77 from complications from throat cancer. Um, But still quite the career. Oh, absolutely. So he, because he's not just her father, he's also her friend. He gives her a ring that her mother had supposedly given him. This is when Diane confides in her dad telling him, nobody really knew me. I regret that. And... She, she tells her dad that she loves him, and, and okay, they're very close. We get it. So in the next scene, Lloyd calls Diane's house, and her father answers. The worst. <laughs> it, was, it was such an awkward conversation. It was so good. He asks to speak with her, and okay, she's not there. And Lloyd cannot stop, like, shuffling around. Like, he has so much nervous energy on the phone. He's a lot. And he... Leaves his name and number, but before he hangs up, he says to her father, she's pretty great, isn't she? Well, and the fact that that I love the fact that her dad is like, he's like, is this the guy with the truck? Is this the guy with the, and and he, he kind of says, why drive a blue Chevy Malibu if it matters? (laughs) You know, that. Um, interesting, useless little point of fact. He writes the phone number down wrong. Ah, I read that. Um, it's yes. off by a digit, which makes me wonder exactly how did Diane call him back? But right. that's the big goof. And following the first phone call, he gets a second phone call. He gets a second phone call. And who is it, Pat? It would be the folks with the Reed Fellowship saying that Diane is going to get to fly over and has a scholarship to study in England for her, her college degree. And then he he continues since, you know, Cameron Crowe and music in his movies are, it's super, super, super important. Um, but I think he almost goes out of his way sometimes because at graduation, we had the worst version of the greatest love of all. Oh, yes. <laughs> by sung by that kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's played, the character is Joe. Um, and the actor is Oh, it's is Joe. Lauren. I didn't realize that was Joe singing. Joe is singing and, and uh, it's the character is Lauren Dean, who was actually in consideration for Lloyd as well. Um, and then they switched him over to Joe. Yes. Okay. So her father shares, you know, the good news that, look, you got the fellowship and we learn that she has real fears about flying. I'll have to go on a plane. Don't you worry about it, sweet Diane. It'll be fine. In the next scene, Diane returns Lloyd's phone call and Lloyd's like, it's Lloyd and, and let's go out and you want to go out and. And she's like, oh, I, I'm busy, you know, the next few days and whatever. And he's like, so you're monumentally busy. And he he finally pitches her on the party at, I'm going to mispronounce it, Valer's. He's oh, 22. And he comes out of hiding like once a year at this occasion. He dresses up at the Lakeside Rooster and he makes this drink called the Purple Passion. And, you know. <laughs> and she's still not really sold. And it's not until he's like, you know, I spent some time in England and, you know, I can give you tips. And she balks and he's like, no, no, no tips, no tips, nothing. (laughs) But he's so earnest and funny and, and she likes that about him. And so she agrees to go. And after they hang up, she looks him up in the yearbook and Pat, I mean, she looks a little disappointed. I don't know if she, she didn't know him. If it was like, oh, I I've never seen that guy. Or if it's like, oh, him. 
I've seen that guy around. I don't think it's a, I think she has to look him up because she has no idea who he is. Okay. And everyone knows who Lloyd Dobler is, you know, I mean. Seemingly, not, yes. He's he's the guy that in high school, you couldn't pin him down to one particular group. He, you know, he, he kind of free floated among everybody. And if he was there, he was cool. And if he wasn't, that was okay. And if he showed up, that was great. You know, like you weren't sad to see him. There are very few people who can negotiate the social scene in high school so effortlessly. And he's one of them, um, which I always thought was really cool. It is really cool, particularly because we find out he was actually gone for a couple of semesters. Like he was in England. So even in spite of the fact that he's been absent from school, right? Well, and that that might explain why he's able to, I mean, if you're an army brat, you're constantly the new kid and you're constantly reintroducing yourself. And Mm -hmm. John Cusack, I mean, doesn't necessarily have that history, but he brought a lot of himself to the role of Lloyd. So the the Clash t-shirt and the, the jacket, the the kind of long hanging jacket, that's that's him um, that he brought to the part. And um, but his reaction when she says yes is the absolute embodiment of every male who has ever, <laughs> you know. But but to show, you know, Lloyd who grabs his nephew and proceeds to play him like a guitar, um, <laughs> then swings him around so he can punch the punching bag and you know what do we love? And the little kid. Pay! You know, it's, it's hilarious. And, but he embodies the, that excitement of, oh my God, she said yes. Yes. And what do we love? Pain. Lloyd Dobler said it in the very first scene. I want to get hurt. Right. He's ready. He's nervous about meeting her dad and walking up. This actually comes from when he he comes up and he meets Mr. Court for the first time. You know, I know you're busy. You don't have to entertain me, but you can trust me. I'll tell you about myself. I'm 19, been overseas for a couple semesters. Now I'm back. I'm an athlete, so I rarely drink. Ever heard of kickboxing, sport of the future, Don the Dragon Wilson, Benny Dejet Urquides, Murray (laughs) Smith, champions of the sport? I can see by your face, no. My point is you can relax. Your daughter will be safe with me for the next seven to eight hours, sir. Sir. It's like he's rehearsed this whole routine. And in terms of the whole kickboxing aspect of this, when writing the script, Crow was struggling a bit to develop Lloyd's character, and he ended up drawing inspiration from his neighbor, and his name was Lowell Marchant. Crow said, he was this friendly guy with a crew cut who just wanted to meet everybody he could. He knocked on the door and said, hello, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Lowell Marchant. I'm a kickboxer, and I'll be living here for a little bit. Are you aware of the sport kickboxing? It's now a major sport covered by ESPN. Crow goes on to say, I tell executive producer James L. Brooks, the character, the character of Lloyd, the character is not coming, and there's this fucking guy down the way who keeps knocking on the door, and he's a kickboxer, and Jim's looking at me like, and you're wondering what to write? He wrote about his neighbor. And what struck him, um, his, he did mention at, in one of the things I read, his neighbor has uh, has has died. He's, he's deceased now. Um, but he said before he died, he was an inspirational speaker. So I guess that that fits. Um, that with the character. tracks. Um, but he was really, really impressed by the fact that upon meeting Cameron Crowe, he was 19 years old. He had just moved from Arkansas um, in an interesting crossover. His dad was being investigated by the IRS. Oh, stop. What really impressed Cameron Crowe the most is the guy was nervous, so he wiped off his hand on his jeans and then stuck it out to shake his hand. Um, And that just stuck with him. And so he made absolutely sure, if you pay attention, that's exactly what Lloyd does when he meets Mr. Court for the first time. I completely missed that. It's it's a quiet movement, but he was it was something that just stuck with him. And since this is Crow's directorial debut, um, he wanted to make sure he got that included. Oh, um, that's fantastic. What a great bit of trivia. 
Okay, so this is when Diane comes out and she's wearing a white dress with a flower in her hair. She looks absolutely beautiful. Well, and Lloyd gives the absolute Keanu Reeves, whoa, as response, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And so they leave the house and her father watches them go to the car and, and you can tell he's, he's confused as to what she sees in him. Well, that's kind of the theme for the whole movie. Of course. They arrive at the graduation party and it's hosted by Valer. Is this how we're pronouncing his name? That's what I'm going to go with. Okay. If it'll make you feel better, the apparently when Cameron Crowe wrote it, it was Lloyd Dobler. And oh. when John Cusack showed up, he started saying Dobler and it just kind of stuck. Oh, interesting. So Valer is played by Eric Stoltz. And so immediately upon Lloyd's arrival, hey, Lloyd, yeah, hey, you're now the key master. You're responsible for judging who's sober enough to drive home and who isn't. And it's a pretty sucky job. Like Lloyd doesn't want it. He's there with Diane. It's their first date or I'm sorry, their second date, Pat. (laughs) Remember, food court. Depends on how you count. Yeah, yeah. But he's a good guy. So, you know, he does it. But Eric Stoltz, what was really kind of fun about this is in addition to playing Valer, he was a production assistant on the movie and he ended up being sent to get coffee for everyone. Oh, that's so fantastic. He was getting a start. Stoltz told Movie Hole, I still have people come up to me at parties and hand me their keys. This is still a thing that happens. <laughs> you should look at him and say like, no, no, that's not, I'm not that guy. Poor Eric know? Stoltz. But we also get introduced to another icon of the screen, which is Jeremy Piven as the drunk, crazy guy who comes running up to him. And they, Here are my keys! And, and Lloyd's great line in the background that I love. You hear, I wish you had done that without your keys in your hand. Yes, yes. And also at the party is Sheila, played by Kim Walker. You might recognize her as the Red Heather in Heathers. Okay, so I've got a couple of missing characters that I get really curious about. And I had to go look a few of them up. Because the party, you meet a lot of people. Yes. The guy we meet after Jeremy Piven is the character, the kind of nerdy character, punk nerd of Mike Cameron. Yes. Okay. Yes, I know who he is. He has the great line of, how'd you get Diane Cord to go out with you? I called her up. But how come it worked? I mean, like, what are you? I'm Lloyd Dobler. I'm Lloyd Dobler. <laughs> and he, that's great. This gives me hope. Thanks. And so here's my, my, my Kirk Cameron theory. It's Mike Cameron. So I'm wondering, the character from Growing Pains was Mike Seaver, yes, played by Kirk, Kirk Cameron. Cameron. So do you get Mike Cameron from that? I have no oh. clue. But it just, that's what I was, I, 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 I had to go know. look it up because I'm like, wasn't that the guy? Wasn't that the character's name from Growing Pains? No, it's Mike Seaver, but then it was Mike Cameron. Well, do you know who it's played by? I do know who it's played by, but I will let you give it away. Okay. Jason Gould, son of Elliot Gould and my Shiro, my personal Shiro, Barbara Streisand. Well, and Elliot Gould, I mean, aside from being the legend before this, I mean, some of our audience, the only way they're going to know who Elliot Gould is, they're going to know him as Monica's dad. from Monica and Ross's dad. Yeah. From Friends. But we get the name. The names go further because we also find out what Corey's last name is, which is Flood. And yes. so we have her singing her 63 songs <laughs> about I've Joe. written 63 songs about Joe, and I'm going to play every single one of them tonight. <laughs> Cameron Crowe had met someone in Boston 
who had written a bunch of songs about Joe. And I think Lily Taylor talked about getting to meet her like years later. And she's like, and she was still writing about Joe. (laughs) She was still talking about Joe all that time later. Can you imagine? No. I mean, there's, there's a degree where you're just like, wow, you've got to get past this. Like you you need some professional help. Yeah. But, But even her line, this is where the script gets, you know, phenomenal where she's sitting there and she's talking, you know, they're like, well, you did try to kill yourself over the guy. Right. Like, Stop. I am fine now. I am all right. All everybody does is ask me about this and I'm fine. Pause beat. Did Joe come with Mimi tonight? Right. And Mimi played by China Phillips. From Wilson Phillips. Yeah. We also have the introduction of BB Newerth. Yes. Miss Evans. The career. This is her first appearance on film. Oh, I didn't know that. In fact, I thought it was really weird that Mrs. Evans shows up at this party. Was she there just to talk to Lloyd? I know, but she strikes me as that person that says, all right, they're graduated. Now I can be friends with them. Okay. Um, but but again, because we're now linking John Mahoney and B.B. Newirth, we have our double Fraser connection yes. with everything involved. Interestingly enough, do you know the girl there's like a couple that comes by when they start talking and one is like, get away from me. Don't even follow me. Leave me alone. Right. There's the contrast between the people making out and the couple in a giant fight. Like you will see this at every single high school party. So perfect. It's required. Right. But interestingly enough, Tammy is the character's name is played by Alison Roth. Alison Roth's brother is David Lee Roth. Stop. Not kidding. She ran Diamond Dave Productions for a while, and you're kind of like, wow. Right. Dear Sweet Miss Evans is trying to get Lloyd to commit to something. And he says, I'm looking for a dare-to-be-great situation. So I don't know, but I know that I don't know. And that's saying something. To him, that's something. To the adults in his life, that doesn't mean anything. But think about the pressure on the average high schooler. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're supposed to come out with knowing, I mean, you've seen this. My son's going through it now. Yeah. yeah. And we have this image of you pick whatever you're going to be at 18 and that's what you do. And it's something where no one tells you, I don't want to say that there's a do-over, but that you can pivot down the line right. and adjust. And Well, it's in such stark contrast to Diane. Right. You know, I, I still we still don't know what her major is going to be. I, no. I want to say doctor. Or yeah, or because of the like anatomy that. posters yeah. in her room. Yeah, right. And the extensive vocabulary. Right. Um, but I'm the antithesis of that, where I'm kind of like a boomer in the effect that, you know, I studied to be a teacher and I've been a teacher for 25 years, which right. is unusual. So anyway, we find out Lloyd's dad's in the army and we have Diane making the call to dad to say, I'm going to be late. Well, yes, but before that, this is when Sheila asks, did you really come with Lloyd Dobler? How did that happen? <laughs> Quote fingers, air, yeah, air quotes. how did that happen? And Diane says, quite simply, he made me laugh. In my experience, you know, stereotypically going if from a cisgender perspective, and I'm prefacing that's my, my angle, is that the guys that girls go for in high school are not the guys that girls go for after high school. They are very, I mean, occasionally you'll find high school sweethearts and that happens. But a lot of times, you know, there's there's that attraction to the bad boy. And yeah. I know this is going to get into, I don't want to get into a Reality Bites discussion. But <laughs> Kate's but, favorite film. 
Right. But the idea that, you know, girls will go for, he's, you know, he treats me like dirt and yet, you know, I love him. And of course, the guy who is the Lloyd Dobler who treats you nicely, things don't go anywhere. I don't know if it's just that that's too familiar or hopefully familiar if you've been in a good relationship, but, you know, but, or if it's just the, the struggle. So I always tell the guys, I'm like, hang in there. I, after high school, I promise you, nerds rule the world. They do oh, great. They absolutely do. Diane calls her dad from the party to check in and the classmates think it's super strange. They're like, tell him this, tell him that. And it's like, <laughs> she doesn't need to tell him it, you know, any lies, n- nothing like that. She's just calling to check in out of respect for her father. But we also see them for the first time. Diane says, hey, would you sign my yearbook? And they look at her and they're, they almost seem taken aback or surprised. Like, oh, well, would you sign mine? And because this is really ironically on the last day of school, the first day they're meeting her. Yes. And this is where we get the guy walking by, Le Dobler. Cool. Cool. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we cut back to Corey. She's singing songs about Joe while he walks in. And, you know, he is loving the attention of this, Pat. Corey ends up telling Diane, Joe was my first love. He was the first guy I ever slept with. But the whole time he was with Mimi. She says she'll be okay. And she tells Diane, too bad more guys can't be like Lloyd. And Diane said, like, I think he's sweet. Like, look, look at him over there. He keeps checking on me. And it's interesting because we're this far into the party and they are not spending any time together. I agree. And when they finally do, the mascot shows up. But when (laughs) when Corey is singing and Joe walks in with Mimi and you see the interaction between Joe and Lloyd and Lloyd is Corey's friend is acting He's in a protective, capacity, very protective. And, you know, and, he, and she breaks into a sudden song. Um, and Lily Taylor says some people will literally, even on the street nowadays, will stop her. With the, no, never, ever. Don't you even think it. And yet they want her to sing the song. Joe lies when he cries. <laughs> right. And so that she, so she very clearly pushes him away and you see, and he's still, Joe's still walking towards her and Lloyd pulls him back and he's like, man, she wrote, and I always find it funny. They got the numbers right. So she wrote 65 songs. Right. They're all about you. They're all about pain. And Joe doesn't understand. And he's like, yeah, why do you think I keep her tapes, man? They're going to be valuable someday. And you're going, no, no, Joe, but he, he loves the attention of it. That's what it is. He doesn't care about her heart because he approaches her and, and he tells her, you know, that he loves her and that she invades his soul and he wants to get back together, you know, not because he wants to get back together because, you know, Pat, Mimi's going away to college and he's going to be alone. So will you have sex with me? (laughs) I have to admit that line sticks with me and it sticks with me because we like Corey and we think of Corey as like, she's a bright, intelligent, capable. I mean, she's got, she's got a blind spot for him, but fine. But the line of have sex with me, isn't Joe supposed to be a little bit smoother than that? I mean, not, you know, at least make love or some other term. Oh, I hate you know? that term. Oh, I find it so gross. I well, I mean, it. he wouldn't sit there and say, like, you want to boink? I mean, I you know, know, it's just. But I just, uh, every time I hear it, it's just, it's way too flowery. It, that That's my own personal issue. We can move on. A part of me wonders if I just want him to be smoother because I like Corey. I don't want to see her get taken advantage by, I mean, at least let him be smooth, you know? But he's so 
unsmooth. The fact, like, I want to get back together because Mimi's going to college and I'm going to be alone. Not I want to get back together because you invade my soul, which is also hilarious. But it's because Mimi's going away and I'm going to be alone. So, yeah. Thankfully, to her credit, she sighs, she gives him a hug, and she's like, you know, goodbye, Joe. I was so proud of her. I didn't think it was going to go that way. Well, and too many times we see when it doesn't. Right. Um, and, and it happens again and again and again and again and again. But presumably, you know, it's like her mom's line, you know, do everyone who loves you a favor and stay away from, from Joe. Joe. Exactly. So, yeah. So we're at the end of the party. And Lloyd and Diane go to leave and because he's like, finally, I'm going to get some, you know, time with Diane here. And they discover, shit, there's one key left. Valera says, back bathroom. And they go back there and who do we find? Mike Cameron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hum. And Valera does the guy bro reach across, tap on Lloyd's shoulder like, it's on you. And suddenly they're driving. So now Lloyd and Diane spend the rest of the evening driving around looking for this kid's house. He's so drunk, he doesn't know where he lives. Three hours later, in the daylight hours, they finally find it. And then they like, like throw him out of the car. He's like, that's it, that's my house. And they're like, And he's like, hey, we can get together. (laughs) Get out of my car. Yes, exactly. So now they're finally alone. All these hours later. And Diane begins to read from her yearbook, and it's filled with passages of people saying that they wish they knew her better. And she's thankful to Lloyd for taking her to the party because for the first time, she actually felt like she was part of high school, even if only for a few hours. So, Well, and Lloyd says it. He says they knew of you. Now they know you. Yeah. You know, they end up finally walking around. They go to the 7-Eleven. And they decide to walk Diane home from there. And this is when Diane tells Lloyd that her parents split when she was 13 and she had to choose between her parents and she chose her dad because he just felt safer. And Lloyd points out the glass in her way as a broken bottle and kind of kicks it out of the way and he directs her around it and they walk back and she refers to him as dun, 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 basic. Basic. Which, which I don't think has the same meaning as it does today. No, I don't think so. But we do learn that Diane has 16 more weeks before she leaves. Right. And he's going to spend every single one of them with her if he can. That's what he wants to do. And she tells him to call her and she gives him. It's a genuine, awkward, very fast hug. And then she just kind of runs away from him. But again, this fits for her. She's it does. She hasn't let anybody in as a friend, let alone boyfriend or any. I mean, presumably she's gone out because she's gone on a date with a guy in a truck and a guy in this car. So that fits. Um, and she talks to her dad about it. And right, much- this is when she calls him basic. Right. Uh, she does say that he was such a gentleman. She said he was funny and nervous and strange. Yep. At least in this moment, I kind of feel like James Court, as the dad, looking out, he sees Lloyd and he recognizes the youthful exuberance and the excitement of, oh, my God, the date went well. So we jump over to Corey is afraid for Lloyd because it's the family audition. Right. Lloyd's a nightmare with parents. Right. And in the next scene, Lloyd's in Diane's room while she tries to figure out something to wear for dinner. It's odd that he's there while she's trying to figure out what she's going to wear. Like he should really just be in the showing up for dinner waiting. Yeah. Yeah. But I do find myself wondering, okay, so we have Diane doesn't really have any experience dating or anything like that, but we also 
don't have her dad having any experience with Diane dating. So maybe he's like, uh, okay, yeah, if you guys want to go up to your room. I mean, I presume my, my mental image is the doors open, you know, so it's not like they're doing anything. I mean, to some degree, does he trust her? I mean, she trusts him implicitly. Uh, so yeah, does sure it go does. the other way where, of course, my daughter wouldn't do anything like that? Yeah, I don't know. So he's in her room. She's trying to figure out what to wear. And her room's full of, you know, a bunch of anatomy posters and tons of books. And and the dictionary. And the dictionary with all the words that she's looked up. Millions of words. And coming to dinner is like her dad's accountant or something, a bookkeeper. Yeah. And then some people from the retirement home. At dinner... It's clear that Diane and her dad are very close. They finish each other's sentences. Uh, this is when the people at dinner ask for Lloyd's plans for the future. And <laughs> and he says to spend as much time with Diane before she leaves. And then he says, oh, you mean like, like for a job? <laughs> and this is when he gives his famous career speech about not wanting to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. He doesn't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, <laughs> sold or bought, bought. <laughs> or processed or repair anything sold bought or you know as a career I don't want to do that I don't want to do that and you know what Pat fair I don't want to do that either my my dad wants me to join with the army he wants to pull some strings but I I can't join that corporation that corporation <laughs> that's what he said so iconic and then we have the dun 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 yes. moment and the IRS agents show up at the door. And inform Diane's father that he's under investigation for the tax years of 1982 through 1986. And Diane's dad is embarrassed that they're there while he has guests. He's appalled. He shuts the door on them. Not before they don't mention, we will be talking to your ex-wife. And is is this the next scene where Diane is with her mom? Because I left that out completely out of my notes. Do you want to talk to that? Sure. Um, We have Mom's Dinner with Diane. Uh, Mom is also uncredited, but is played by Lois Childs, who, boy, you're going to love this trivia. She played Agent Holly Goodhead in the 1979 James Bond movie Moonraker with Roger Moore's 007. Oh, good Lord. So she's she's an established actress, but okay. I'd like to think this is a slightly more complex part than Agent Holly Goodhead. And we get the the discussion where basically Diane is pleading with her mom, say nice things about dad. Right. Like that has any bearing on his tax investigation. But from her perspective, I mean, you know, at 18, Diane doesn't understand that. She doesn't she, get it. She knows anatomy, but she doesn't know <laughs> tax law. Yes. At least not yet. Diane and Lloyd are on the phone and she thinks that Lloyd doesn't like old people. So in the next scene, Lloyd's at the retirement home addressing the residents as he gets ready to present the film Cocoon. (laughs) This was the very first scene that was shot for the whole movie. Oh, it was. It was. And it was Cameron Crowe's first time behind the camera. And so they did the shot and he's like, that's great. That's great. Now, where do we go? And the the, the, like, you know, director of photography is like, now we do the close ups. And Cameron Crowe was just mortified in embarrassment of like, I should have known that. I can't believe. And he like literally struggled to come back to not, you know, because this is his first time helming things. And so he was just horrified. Then we we cut to them in a coffee shop. It is Seattle after all. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) we hear about Diane's theory of convergence, that good things always happen with bad things. Yes. You know, foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. She says to him, well, we can be friends. And he's like, yeah, with potential. Yes. So this is when Lloyd in the next scene is teaching Diane how to drive her stick shift car. Remember stick shifts? 
I do. I actually don't know how to drive one. I never had Seriously? one. Seriously? Yeah, I know. I should have taught you how to drive one. I back know in the you day. should have, Pat. Come on. And this is when we get the romantic montage. It's my favorite part of any romantic comedy. Throughout this montage, we see them walking together, kissing in the park. It's all very romantic. They're falling in love. And we finally end up with the car, the the Malibu, parked by the ocean. And of course, end up having sex for the first time. And the thing I find funny about it is that a lot of it is made, especially in, you know, you you did Fast Times with Ridgemont High with, uh, I'm sorry, who's the actress? Not Jennifer Jason Lee. Who plays uh, the younger one? Jennifer Jason Lee. It is Jennifer Jason Lee? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I went back, I had never seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and I went back and watched it in preparation for this because I thought, well, I should be familiar with Cameron Crowe's thing. In the process of it, though, they they have this moment, and there's a lot made of, like, you know, a, a female losing her virginity, but it struck me that this is probably Lloyd losing his virginity, too. Well, okay, so that was what I was going to say. The fact that this is so focused on Lloyd, it was such a departure from what you normally see. and. That's what made me actually really love this scene because Lloyd is a hot mess, right? Like he's shaking, he's nervous, and he tells her, I'm just happy. And he is happy, but he's also shaking and nervous. This is a lot for him because he is losing his virginity to somebody that he really loves. And while she is also, the focus is not on her, it's on him. And that's just something we never, ever get to see. A male being vulnerable in this situation is something not seen on film. Right. Particularly in 1989. Oh, definitely. At this point, you know, we're still, we're seeing them together and you're like, oh, okay. So I guess it's not that we didn't know it was serious, but now it's serious, serious. And we see him vulnerable and everything. And it's not till she goes home she starts right. talking to her dad. Right. And Cameron Crowe said um, <laughs> at the 30 year, he said, you know, I'm looking at this now from the perspective of the father instead of the kid. And that changes the game a little bit. It changes he's, everything. He's got, he's got twin sons that are now 20 years old. And the the line, you know, Diane has the line to her dad. We started ta- spending all this time together as friends, but I could feel him getting anxious. And then I knew there'd be a confrontation over getting physical. And then, you know, it's going to be an issue. So I went through all the different feelings and all the different arguments you're supposed to go through. So again, she's bringing her brain student side to it. I'm going to have, I'm going to research it. Although I do have to admit, I'm puzzled by her dad's response because his question is, did he ever get rough with you? And I'm like, yes, you know, Pat, that's so interesting. I didn't make that note, but the many times I've seen it, that has always struck me as an odd line. Like, I don't know what his experience has been. I don't know what in Lloyd made him think that that was even a possibility. Well, I get the impression that this just demonstrates how much he doesn't know Lloyd. That, you know, all he knows is he's a kickboxer. So okay. did he get rough with you? Well, he's a kickboxer, I guess. You know, that that's his image of what it would do. Yet we all know, you know, Lloyd couldn't hurt a flower if he tried. <laughs> right. <laughs> But we have Diane who comes back. It's like, Dad, no, but I didn't want any problems, so I decided not to sleep with him. And of course, we have you know, you know, John Mahoney. Like, that's right, that's my girl. Beat pause. But then I attacked him anyway. Right. And again, especially for 1989, female as sexual aggressor. This is ahead of its time. This is, you know, Most sex in the city. Definitely. And and she does say like, I'm scared to death of what you think of me right now. Right. You know, women are not supposed to enjoy sex. They're supposed to be just these passive recipients. Exactly. It changes it. So Yeah. And, and she tells her dad, he's protective of me. And when people ask me 
what I'm doing with Lloyd, I always think of the glass at 7-Eleven that he wanted me to watch out for. He's gentle and he's kind to me and he's always looking out for me. Because he's the good guy. I'd like to tell you as a parent that I would be capable of having that discussion with my kids. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we're very open about things. We talk about things. It's it's all on the table and everything. But I don't know if I'd be able to handle that particular discussion at that particular time. I mean, I think that's a hard one for any parent. I think even if you have fostered regular communication about sex throughout your children's lives, I think when it really comes down to it, these aren't easy conversations to have. I mean, Kate's the most qualified person to have these conversations with, with anyone, with your children, with my children, with the whole world. But it's awkward for a parent when it's your baby. Right. And she's his whole world. Right. I'm not sure if he, because if she was his whole world, he wouldn't have made some of the choices he did. But that's just me. You know, you're speaking from the perspective of someone that has a good moral compass. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> his is questionable, right? Understatement. He has found a way to rationalize the choices he's made by saying, this is all for Diane. It's okay because it's for Diane and she's good. Right. So we cut from Diane's post-coital discussion with her dad. <laughs> it's a very clinical way of describing it. Yes. We, 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 we go to the opposite you know, end of it, and it's Lloyd with DC and Corey, and he's strumming on a guitar. Right. And they're like, we, like they know. They're mm-hmm. like, we can totally tell you slept with Diane. And, and Corey's like, you have to do something special for her. And this is when he reveals that he wrote her a letter. Right. But she also says the line, and I I gotta say this one's true when she, you know, Corey tells him, everything's changed. You've had sex. No matter what you might think, nothing will ever be the same between you two. You might be 60. You might be walking down the street and you'll talk to her about something, whatever. But what you'll really be thinking is, we had sex. There's some degree of truth with that. <laughs> I, I don't think there's some degree of truth to it. I think that's 100% true because the relationship inevitably changes once you have sex. It just does. Well, it can't not. But it also, that's part of the discussion that, you know, we've had with the kids is that it's not necessarily, yes, there's obviously physical concerns and pregnancy and STIs and all those other things that they scare the hell out of you in in health class. I said, but more is the emotional vulnerability that comes about because once you cross that line, there's no going back and you can't change it. No. And I don't mean just virginity. I mean, just in any relationship, it doesn't, it, it changes fundamentally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the emotional component is far too big to ignore. And Lloyd looks like he's on top of the world, right? There's this quiet confidence he now possesses in that me and Diane, the woman of my dreams, have shared Mm -hmm. the most intimate moment. Right. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Hang on. Yes. And so he has the card. He has the letter. The letter is so simple, right? It just says, Diane, I'll always be there for you. All the love in my heart, Lloyd. And the girl's gush all over this. I'm like, that's not that poetic, Lloyd. I actually kind of expected a little more from you. But but it is straightforward. It is to the point. And that fits with his character too. And unlike Joe, you know, Lloyd oh, will God. always be there for her. Well, and that, I mean, I do find it funny that again, Corey's point of reference is, oh, you know, you've got to do something special. You've got to show her that you're not like Joe. And it's like, right. you know, so that's, that's your dare to be great situation. Don't be like Joe. Setting the bar really low, yes. Pretty much. So Diane is thinking twice about her fellowship now that her father is under investigation. And her dad's like, nope, you're going. Is this about the other morning? Is that the situation about the discussion the other morning? And we cut back to Mr. Court. I just think you should break up with him. Give him this pen. 
Well, his argument is, you know, you should just go on this trip without any attachments. This is when she admits that she loves him. And this is when her father admits they think I'm guilty. Which has been underlying. We had the investigation occurring just before this. Yes. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's closing in and he knows it and he's guilty as hell. And we as the audience don't know he's guilty as hell yet. But there's also a point where the IRS does not investigate you unless there's something that was a tip off. Right. And I get the impression that up until now, he's been telling her, it's fine. Everything's okay. He's been sheltering Mm -hmm. her from it as much as possible while she's off enjoying her last few weeks before she goes. When he says they think I'm guilty and he breaks an embrace, they're like hugging or something. And he like walks away from her and she's left literally with her arm outstretched, like almost, almost hurt by the fact that there's a physical separation that has occurred. And it's the first time we said to see like, oh, well, Diane is capable of being a person on her own, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing. And then we cut to Lloyd at work. Lloyd at work. He's now teaching kickboxing. Did you know that the dojo that he's teaching kickboxing in is the same dojo used in 1984's The Karate Kid? Nice. Isn't that cool? He actually trained in kickboxing and now he's got a black belt in it. That's so cool. Which, you know, talk about, hey, I've got to pick up a skill for a a film. Might as well keep up with it. That's a good workout, too. Darn curious. And we have the moment in the car. Oh, the car. You know, Pat, when you think back on all of your relationships when you were young, so much of it happened in the car. That's because you couldn't go inside. I guess. It's like, but like the really deep, heavy conversation always happened in the car. We, I have another word for really deep, heavy conversation. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about other things that happen in cars sometimes? But yeah, no, I mean, it starts that way. You end up having these deep philosophical, why are we here, two in the morning, whatever's. But even like the real, like the come to Jesus moments of your relationship. When I think about the fights I've had in cars or the tears I've cried in cars or the confessions I've made in cars. When you're a teenager, it's everything. Your freedom physically, obviously, to be able to go from location to location, but it's your freedom to express yourself, whether it be, you know, through your voice or express your feelings for someone. It's always in the car. I agree. And, and, And I think that's reflected in this film. I mean, when they're talking and suddenly Lloyd pulls the car over and he's like, wait a minute, did you just break up with me? Right. And so he's like, I feel like a dick. You must think I'm a dick. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, you do. Lloyd, we shared the most intimate thing two people can share. You shared it with a dick, which technically. (laughs) But I mean, he's devastated. She didn't want him to say it like she knew he was going to say, I love you. She knew it. And she was like, don't, don't, don't. And he's like, I love you. Right. And yet, ironically, seen before, she was confessing her love to her father, which is probably the hardest person to talk to about it. Absolutely. I think this is, Diane, like many of us, that when we're young, our parents are older, they know better, I'm going to follow their lead, I'm going to do what they think is right, because, you know, they've got more experience with it. And she trusts him. I trust him. He feels safe. Right. And but we've all we all do that where we we follow our parents lead because they know what they're doing. And, you know, as we get older, you suddenly see your parents as people. And guess what? Those people make mistakes. Yeah. And it's an odyssey. That discovery is, it's not for the faint hearted and it happens to all of us. Right. And this is when she tells him to write her and she gives him the pen. Which just stick it in my heart. 
just stab him, you know? Oh, and man. And what do we cut to? Just like we talked about, we have Diane gets into the car, and of course the memories associated with the car and learning how to drive. And right. Yeah, we get the sad montage. You know, you, right. you get the falling in love montage, and then you get the breakup montage. Right. And so we see her crying, then we see him crying, and it's raining. And I actually found this really great article in The Ringer written by uh, Elizabeth Nelson. She says, quote, give him this. Lloyd really is a good boyfriend. A lifetime of being surrounded by gifted and strong-willed women has given him an appreciation for how to treat them with respect, decency, and difference. We know this because of how he treats Diane when they are together, but also how he reacts when she breaks up with him. I think that's really true. He's all about the grand gesture, as we will see. And as much as this is hurting him, he's not being a dick to her. Like, he calls himself a dick. Like, you know, I'm a dick. No, you're actually not a dick. You're sad and and it's okay to be sad. But he has treated her so well throughout all of this. And he wasn't really working so hard to convince her of all the reasons why she should be with him. He calls his sister to tell her, she broke up with me. How do I get her back? I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. Right. And then and then he transitions to the audio recording where he's talking to Corey. And again, this is very antithetical. One of my running gags is, you know, like who who recovers faster from a breakup, men or women? And I'll ask the teenagers in my class chat and they always say, guys, And I'm like, Mm-mm. it's the girls typically, stereotypically tend to recover faster. I say, because if you've ever seen a girl who gets upset on social media when she there's a breakup and there's a rant, uh, a very long rant. And I said, but they're getting it out of their system. They're talking to their friends. They're going Unless to you're Corey. Right. <laughs> but in the process of it, I mean, you know, guys, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And we see that here in, in one of the scenes that I just adore. He's recording like audio. Right. I'm sure Felicity got the idea from <laughs> this, this but, scene. Yeah. But he, he says, I think I know too many girls. You know, yes. I should hang out with more guys. I should be like one of the guys, those who hang out at the AM, PM or the gas and sip on a Saturday. But I don't know. Guys like that really know the answer. And we go to see, of all people, Joe. Joe. And so he's outside of the gas and sip with these guys. They're drinking. They're eating their Funyuns. And Lloyd asks them straight up, like, if you guys are so great with the ladies, because they're like bitches, right? Like women are bitches. Well, and that's the fact that it gets, because it goes from, um, we go, there's like, five guys, four guys. And it goes from Joe to the guy who's got the, the theory. It's all economics, man. Right. And then, you know, and then we get to, we get Jeremy Pibbins in there. And right. then suddenly the camera pans down and we have like the little, like 14 year old who's hanging out with right. 18 year olds. And, and that's, he's the one who goes like, bitches, man. Bitches, bitches. Man. <laughs> and so Lloyd's like, if you guys are so great with the ladies, what are you doing here? And they're like, by choice. Uh huh. But that's followed up by Jeremy Piven gets the line and he says that he was in a relationship and he got really hurt and he never wants to feel like that again. But there's a truth there that, you know, he's at least willing to admit that I got hurt. This broke my heart when Lloyd was like, the girl made me trust myself. I was walking around feeling satisfied. Can you imagine that? You called Lloyd, what was it? Warrior for optimism. Yes, a warrior for optimism. And now he's saying... Even before he had Diane, like he believed in the possibility of having Diane. Right. So so when he's back in his car from hanging out with these guys, he's like, the rain on my car is a baptism. I'm a new me. Iceman. Power Lloyd. My assault on the world begins now. Only it doesn't, Pat. 
I did read one article, I can't cite it, I'm sorry, um, where they talk about the fact this is him flirting with what they called toxic masculinity. Yes. That was the same article I just quoted from. Okay, good. Then quick, give that person credit because they've got good ideas. Yes. Elizabeth Nelson for The Ringer. There we go. We, We see, you know, Lloyd try that on and it doesn't fit. And I'd like to say it's more commonly not fitting for more guys than than it guys is. would like to admit. Yeah. So this is when Lloyd calls Diane to leave his eighth message on her mm-hmm. answering machine. And and she and her father listen. At the end, she goes to pick up the phone, but he had already hung up. And he asks her to nuke the letter. Right. And so this is when her father goes to buy luggage and his card gets declined and he's woefully embarrassed and you know his assets are apparently frozen now and of course we see you know this is the first time we've seen james court maybe trying to make a move on another woman right well and maybe he felt now was the time because diane would be leaving ah so so we have james as the joe you know diane's gonna go to college and i'm gonna be all alone have sex with me. <laughs> and, and it's also a convergence thing of good things happen with bad things. My daughter's yes. going up to college, but I'll be lonely. Right. Suddenly we see, again, the walls closing in and James is in the bathtub. Fully clothed, crying. Which brings us to probably the most iconic scene in this entire film. <sighs> yes. So we cut to Diane laying in bed at night with her windows open as In Your Eyes plays from the street outside. Now, we didn't mention it, but when they were in the car, when they had sex, In Your Eyes was playing. Yep. We then see Lloyd Dobler in his trench coat, standing in front of his car, holding a boombox over his head as the song plays, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. And John Cusack didn't want to do this. He thought it was too passive for Lloyd. And in fact, he was finally able to kind of get around that once he decided that this would be Lloyd's final stand. And the funny part, when they filmed it, it's filmed completely separately. The interior shot of Diane turning over and stuff like that was shot on one day. And the shot of of Lloyd doing it, you know, standing there with with the boombox was shot across from the 7-Eleven in Burbank somewhere. (laughs) How romantic. With, you know, the grass behind him. And the decision about the song, James L. Brooks was talking about the fact that Cameron Crowe, they they experimented with a couple of songs and Cameron had even spoken to some musicians who had written a song for it, but he felt like it gave too much away. And finally he heard In Your Eyes on a tape from his wife from their wedding or something. And he loved it. And apparently Peter Gabriel wanted a mint to give it up. I read between two hundred to $300,000. Yeah, it was a lot of money. But, you know, Cameron Crowe was insistent. But and, and James L. Brooks said, yeah, I think the, the artist had a personal connection. So, of course, I got really curious, like, what's the personal connection? According to Gabriel himself, the lyrics of In Your Eyes, which are inspired by the African tradition, can either refer to a romantic relationship between a man and a woman or a divine relationship between someone and his God. It is said that the American actress and film director Rosanna Arquette was the inspiration behind the song. Gabriel wrote the song while he and Arquette were in a romantic relationship. However, it is worth noting that Gabriel has never confirmed that Arquette was the inspiration behind the song. And that's behind the wonderful website of songmeaningsandfacts.com. I have a few thoughts on this. First of all, Rosanna Arquette must be such a catch because she was the inspiration also behind Rosanna by Toto. But I had heard that when they actually filmed the scene with Cusack 
and the boombox. It was filmed to fish bones boning in the boneyard. Yep. (laughs) So Cusack was a huge fan of Fishbone, and then Cameron Crowe came to be as well. And when they're in post-production trying to figure this out, Crowe was like, the scene just isn't working. And I had read there was another Fishbone song that they were going to use in this scene, but the actual filming of it was to Boning in the Backyard. But I don't know that that was actually intended originally to be in the film. The point of it is, is that you've got to choose. This is the, you know, the, 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 the scale of post-production, that they're able to go back in and insert it where they needed to. And James L. Brooks was like, there's something to be said for passion because you know, Cameron Crowe was insistent that it's got to be this song. And so they did it. And apparently it has been such a thing that it's been, um, I think I sent you that link of the places where it has been referenced and parodied. Fantastic. You know, the, the two that always stand out to me, sorry, fanboy, one is Ready Player One, but the other one is Deadpool 2 with Deadpool holding it up. Yes. And it's I'm so lost without you, which is just hilarious. Um, so but it's been used over and over. It's like the the standard go-to of when you want to show I'm deeply passionate about something and I'm gonna stand for it. Yeah. You know, my husband has pulled this move on me. We have a two-story house, and you can, you know, look down into the first story. And he has done that with an iPad playing a song for me. Did it work? I mean, did it work? I I laughed at it. I I, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I guess it, I guess it worked at least for a laugh. I don't know if that was what. I don't know if that was the reaction he was hoping for, but that was what he got. Yeah. You got two kids, so something worked somewhere something along worked. the line. <laughs> <laughs> so Crow has actually said about this scene. That scene is like Romeo under the trellis, but I have this feeling when I watch it that it's filled with double emotion both with the story and the actors whose own trepidation bleeds in. It's iconic and it stands the test of time because 32 years later, we're still talking about it. We're and we still, still remember talking it. And, about it. And anyone from our generation, and I would argue anyone who's even seen the movie, even if it's not your generation, our kids could watch that scene. And if someone stood there, first of all, they'd look and go like, why are you holding a boombox? A boombox, yeah. You know, um, but it, it, it stands in there. It, it still works. Well, the beauty and the heartbreak of that moment, I will say, is number one, she never goes out to see what's going on. And that's like, like you're saying, stab me in the heart with that pen. It's not even like she saw him and she walked away. She just didn't even get out of bed. But in her defense, she's the newbie. Even at 18, she has no clue how to handle her emotional weight. She's never done anything like this. All she knows is, I've always listened to dad. Yeah, yeah. So this scene was actually inspired by Crow's real life and his first heartbreak specifically. He said, she fell for me and I fell for her, but not at the same time. And yes, I used to drive by her house late at night listening to music, feeling like a sap and somehow heroic at the same time. She was already with someone new, but I was going to wave the flag of our great love, even if I was the only one at the ceremony. Which again speaks to the truth of I don't know a single guy at one point or another who hasn't done the stalker move of driving by her house. Right. But but to Cusack's point, for Cusack to be able to play this convincingly, it had to be his last stand. So for him, he was waving the flag of their great love, and he did end up being the only one at the ceremony. Right. Yeah. So this is when Diane goes to talk to an investigator about her father, and the investigator is pretty straight with her. He tells her, look, we think your father's stealing from the residents of the retirement home. 
And he tells her that they have proof and asks her, you know, does your dad fit the profile? Look around your house. Look at what you have. And then he offers her, ironically, pretty paternal advice. Don't let your father's business infect your life. And she goes home and is rushing around and starts searching everywhere and stands there and says, they made me doubt you. I mean, she looks at her ring and she wonders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she finds the locked box and she pops it open and finds stacks of cash. Yep. Uh, So she's upset and she goes to the retirement home to confront her father. And she's like, did you do it? Did you take the money? He denies it. Mm-hmm. And then once she tells him that she found the money, he tells her it's not what you think. And then inevitably, like, you know, I, I did it for you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you stole from them. And he's like, I make their lives better. And did you see what he follows it up with? Is this because of Lloyd? He Freaking immediately Lloyd. goes to like, like, this is all Lloyd's fault because of, you know, your, your boyfriend. And Diane comes back to the line because earlier she had said, you know, after I think it was, was it the sex talk? She said, I can say anything to you. No, he said, I hope you know you can say anything to me. And now it comes full, you know, careful what you wish for as a parent, especially where she says, I can say anything to you. You're a liar and a thief. And he says, careful how, how you make me out. I'm the only father you got. And now it's like, ooh. Yeah. And according to Mental Floss, the actors that were reading for the part of her father, as well as people involved in the film, kept asking, like, why does the father have to be guilty in this film? Why does that have to happen? And according to Crow, he said, because without the father being guilty, it's pretty in pink. Yep. And the actors who read for it are pretty impressive. At one point, Dick Van Dyke was very seriously considered for it. I love him. My favorite one was they sent the script to um, Richard Dreyfus, And Richard Dreyfus wrote back and said, great script. I want to play Lloyd. Um, <laughs> which... Who wouldn't want to play Lloyd? You know, we didn't even talk about with Diane up for the role was Elizabeth Shue. She came yeah. very close to nabbing that role, as did Jennifer Connelly. Yep. I mean, the people that worked on this, even the producer, James L. Brooks, mm-hmm. he was the executive producer and creator of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, wow. He, Legend. He, he created Taxi. He was a writer producer on As Good As It Gets, producer on Jerry Maguire, executive producer on The Simpsons, longest running TV show in, in history. Um, and you'll be happy to know he is the producer on Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, that just oh. recently wrapped filming. So so excited. So excited. Cannot wait. Just hoping they don't mess it up. I Yeah, me too. Speaking of messing up their lives, back to James Court. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, here, here's your symbolic name again. James Court. Court. He's going there. Will find himself in court. Yes, he right. will. So this is when Diane, you know, she's so upset with her father. She leaves to go see Lloyd at the dojo and she apologizes to him. She tells him, my father's guilty. I just left home. I need you. I love you. Wait, wait, wait. Notice she says, I need you. And he says, one question. Are you here because you need someone or because you need me? And then like any good guy says like, forget it. I don't care. Footnote to that boxing ring scene. Yeah. Lloyd is in the ring with Don the Dragon Wilson who is a hero in, uh, he, he did all the Blood Fist movies following this. Oh, cool. And he is the one who presumably breaks John Cusack's nose with that kick to the head. And Cusack later continued his training with Benny the Jet Urquidez, Um, And he's a current black belt. So don't mess with John Cusack, you guys. 
He'll kick your ass. All right. So we now cut from from the, you know, I need you to the courthouse. And we have James's attorney and the IRS cut a deal apparently over lunch. Yeah, um, over it's, lunch. It's McDonald's, I might add. <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah. So they negotiate a $125,000 fine and a nine-month sentence in a plea deal. And we we're now we're at the correctional facility. Lloyd and James Court complete with his lovely uh, jumper. Right. Right orange. Lloyd goes to talk to Diane's father because she just can't face him. She's in the car. Yep. So Lloyd tells him straight up. I mean, they have a dialogue, but he says, I decided what I want to do for a living is to be with your daughter. I'm good at it. And the father says, you're a distraction. And he tells him, I'm a distraction that's going with her to England, sir. Yeah. And it's also when he, you know, he walks, are you okay, sir? Are you okay? And apparently John Mahoney, before he passed, talked about the fact that they're, they're, this is the line, you know, how like people talk up about, you know, Joe lies to Lily Taylor. Right. People would come up to John Mahoney and they, apparently some guy in a bar in Chicago did a dead on. I'm incarcerated, Lloyd. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that that became his like call sign from this whole movie, which it's it's a good line. But it's funny to, you know, here's that the, of, of what ends up sticking and people go, I remember that, you know. Yes. Yeah. So. Lloyd ends up giving him a letter that Diane had written. And unfortunately, you know, he's reading it out loud. It's the version. There have been multiple versions. There's two versions. There's two versions. If it's the one that ends with, <laughs> I still can't help loving you, it's good. You know, It's good. Only it's not that version. Right. Lloyd, our warrior for optimism, can't, even with the guy that he wants to kick in the shins, is sitting there, he's like, but you know, you have to know that, that there's a version of that letter out there somewhere. That's still good, right? Yeah. Right. Like that was a thought that she had. Like she's just not ready. And so he's so upset. And, and this is when Diane comes in and she goes to say goodbye to her father and her father hugs her. And she tells him, you should have told me the truth. And the father says, I'm so sorry. And she tells him, write me. And hands him the pen. Ta-da! A full circle moment. And we, we end up on the plane. And apparently this is a thing for Cameron Crowe, that either getting on in, in an airport terminal or being on a plane is uh, big yes. With, yes. with his films. And first of all, Ioni Sky is wearing a quintessential 80s. A blossom hat, if you will. It's, it's yeah. And they kiss. The plane has taken off. The plane is ascending. There's noises. Diane is super nervous. Lloyd sitting next to her, holding her hands, giving her, you know, a lot of reassurance. And he's quick to tell her, this is all very normal for a 747. If something's going to go wrong, it will happen within the first five minutes. Once that smoking sign comes on, everything's going to be fine. Sign of the times. There's a smoking sign. <laughs> yeah. So Diane says, nobody thinks this is going to work about the relationship. And Lloyd says, you just described every good success story. And they're, they're staring up, waiting for that smoking sign, ding. And suddenly, cut to black, ding, and cue final credits. Crow told the San Diego Union Tribune that say anything is a love story for people who don't say, I love you. What do you think about that? I could see that. But I also think they both say it. They both do say. I mean, I don't I do we we see it at different times. I mean, Lloyd obviously is the the one to go first, but again, that fits for you know our warrior for optimism. Of course, it's going to work out. How could it not work out? Right. You have Diane, who's more reserved with it, which again fits with her character and right. newbie and all that. I don't know. I knew a guy who in high school he said, "I never want to say I love you because then it makes it not special." That never made any sense to me. 
Well, then this is a movie for him. Well, do we have a do we have a spinoff movie on Joe that he can watch? You know, like- no. You know what? I have to tell you, we don't have a spinoff movie. However, in 2014, trouble was brewing because Fox greenlit an adaptation of the film into a sitcom that was designed to take place a decade later. Just no. First of all, it's a bad idea. Let me just start there. But secondly, they didn't get Crow's permission. And Crow took to Twitter to say, say anything, the TV show. And then he tags John Cusack and Ioni Sky. And I have no involvement except in trying to stop it. And stop it, they did. They tried to do it with Fast Times. It bombed. You just don't. There aren't very many cases where it'll work as a feature and work as a series. No, and but in regard to a sequel, Crow said, I only mentioned it to Cusack once. I really did think that Lloyd could be worth revisiting in maybe a completely different context. So I don't know. I guess it would be a spiritual follow-up. I don't know how strict of a sequel it would be. I don't know which characters would appear or reappear. It just feels like a character I could still write for. And Cusack told The View that he'd be open to doing a sequel if Crow asked him. There's an old line with screenwriting that says, show me something again, but different. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what Crow was saying when he's saying like, it would have to be in a completely different context. The fact that he still feels like Lloyd Dobler is a character that he can write for. I'm into it. I'm I'm into wherever Crow would want to take that because I trust him as a filmmaker. I mean, he just really has such a knack for storytelling and human emotion. I think as a, not a sequel per se, but like the spiritual continuance is Jerry Maguire, you know, an idealistic person who's in a cynical world and has to deal with it. Yeah. I would hate to see Lloyd middle-aged and the kids have moved out and he's going through a midlife crisis or trying to go out and buy a sports car. You'd be crushed to know that Lloyd didn't live the life, the dare to be great. You know, I get nervous whenever they talk about like remaking certain films like Ferris Bueller or, you know, there's even been talk about redoing the Goonies or the Breakfast Club. And it's like, don't mess with it. Just leave it. Don't fuck it up. It's perfect the way it is. Pretty much. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on this? Have you shown it to your kids? I don't think I have. I know I showed this to one of my high school classes a while back. And I remember thinking at the time going, I don't know if this ages as well for them, if they can interpret it as well. Have you shown your kids? Yes, I watched this with my son, my 18-year-old son, but we watched it a while back. I want to say it was maybe 13. I, I went on a kick with him and we watched The Breakfast Club and Say Anything and Ferris Bueller. It was just kind of like an 80s marathon of my favorite films. And um, he really liked this movie. And I think even though he was on the young end, I think he really did appreciate it. And of course, like you said, this has been parodied so often. When we went and saw Deadpool in the theater, he immediately knew what this was from. He's like, <laughs> he, he whispered to me, that's from Say Anything. I'm like, yeah, it is. So Further proof that you're raising him right. Further proof that, you know, there's a little bit of Lloyd Dobler in him too. So it's a film, particularly for men, that gives them permission or license to be more sensitive, to be more in touch with their feelings and not be afraid of the grand gesture. I agree. And, you know, at the end of the day, you've just described every great success story. Yes. 
So with that, thank you so much for joining us, Pat. Everyone that reached out to me after Star Wars, I said, don't worry, he's coming back. I don't know if I can afford to pay all those people the $20, I promised them. <laughs> well, it's a lot of dollars. <laughs> a lot of people reached out, so you should feel really good about that. And to all of you listening, thank you so much. You can find us on the web at the Untitled Gen X Podcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Take it easy.